0: We are um, in week two, or really week three. Uh, it's the second week of where we're going to be going through things in our lives. We've started this series called Groundwork. Um, I've probably never gotten so many emails in, in two or three weeks that I have in these last two or three weeks dealing with these groundwork issues. So if I owe you an email right now, it's coming, baby. <laughs> But all of us, I think, together are realizing that in many ways, our lives are under construction. That's why we have our little mini construction site going on up here. And so what we wanted to do is we kind of launched out into into a new year, January 2015, was to deal with seven areas in our lives that trip us up most frequently and try to bring some health, try to bring some transformation, try to bring some change, lay some new groundwork, if you would, in those areas. So, this week, uh, we're going to talk about a topic that I have never, in my uh, church-going career, um, seen addressed, at least in our church. I've seen it addressed in other churches, but I've never seen it addressed in our church. So, uh, to do that, I'm going to ask the ushers, now that they are done collecting, if you guys would just leave those baskets there, they're going to come, they're going to give you the handouts for this morning we have put together a notebook who has a notebook that i can hold up and show with them anybody here oh this is what your notebook looks like if you did not get a notebook on the first week of this series raise your hand and the ushers will bring you a notebook so if you don't have a notebook just raise your hand you need to be over 18 to raise your (laughs) hand and get a notebook um, so they'll give you notebooks and then every week we're filling these notebooks up and we're filling them up with a few things. Kevin, you want to see your hands here? Not bad for a Steeler fan. Um, I'm a bitter cowboy person, what can I say? That's all, that's all I have left. Um, so we're asking everybody that this not just be a one day, one, day, one hour conversation. We're asking you to join us. In fact, as we each individually get healthy, this church gets healthy and it becomes the light and the power that this community needs. And so we're asking you not just to show up here on Sunday and and veg out or sleep. Um, We're asking you to engage in these thoughts in a few ways. The first is, Uh, something we've never really done before, we're giving you sermon notes every week. So every week we ask you to take a pen out and, you know, kind of tactile thing, you know, write down what we're talking about so you're you're seeing it, you're, in a sense, feeling it. Then we give you four devotions a week. We ask you if every other day, for ten minutes, Now, you know, maybe you spend a lot more time with God, and that's awesome if you do, Uh, that's awesome. You are, the more you abide, the more you're being changed. But for many of us, it's a struggle. So we're saying, for 10 minutes, would you do one of these devotions every other day? Because it keeps the conversation going in your heart and in your mind. And each of these devotions, I'm writing them every week, and uh, they're based on the topic. This week, you're going to have four devotions based on improving your physical health. It's not easy to write four devotions on improving your physical health, I'll have you know. But they're in there, and I, I think they're not bad. And there's a memory verse. Thy word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against thee. So we're giving you a memory verse for each and every week along the way. So the ushers, have you guys handed out the new materials? No? No? Okay, they're going to come now and they're going to hand you out this week's chapter. And you can start filling that out as they give it to you. There's, Like I said, there's pens in the baskets. Just put your pens back. Now, let's start with the memory verse for today. The memory verse for today is 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20. Would you guys, would you read, let's read it together, okay? Because we'll use a couple more senses, right? We'll we'll speak it and we'll hear it. Uh, So let's let's say say it together. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you? Whom you have received from God, you are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. If you got the email from me this week or from the church office with the teaser about today's message, I wrote. I wrote a teaser which you know could be slightly controversial, maybe, um, and because I talked about heresy. If you hang around the church for any amount of time, you start to understand um, that there's a lot of people on the lookout for heresy. Uh, Paul, he writes, he'd go from town to town, the Apostle Paul that wrote most of the New Testament. He would go from city to city and he would start a church. And it, it seemed inevitably, after he started the church, some other folks would come in right behind Paul and they would start to teach something that was not wholly different, just a little bit different than what Paul was teaching And it would become what is called a heresy, heretical, something that denied or casted doubt on kind of core doctrine that Paul had taught them. Now, if you would study heresies in the scriptures or over time, you would notice a couple things about heresy. The first is that heresies are rarely really crazy ideas. Usually they're ideas that are just like an inch or two off of what the truth is, But like a spaceship pointed towards the moon, if you get that trajectory off by uh, an inch or two here on Earth, you're going to wind up in another galaxy. So heresies are not often things that just are so blatant that everybody would go, wait a minute, this is a a heresy. The other thing about uh, about heresies are, if you go through the history of the church of Jesus Christ, uh, there's not a lot of heresies. What tends to happen is it's the same old heresy, and it just repeats itself. It reveals itself in new ways and in different ways uh, over the continuum of the history of the church. Now, trust me, if you stand up long enough and you speak, people will tell you they are watching and they'll come and they'll challenge uh, your words because we're often kind of looking out, we're taught in the scriptures to watch out, to be on guard for heresies. Now, you might say, this is all great, some church history, some stuff on heresies. How does anything uh, of this have to do with our physical health? What's the tie-in? Well, it's this. that I believe in terms of our bodies, the 21st century church, the 21st century Christians, have fallen prey to a very common historical heresy. We live it out and we're not aware of it because it's, it's, it sounds good. It sounds pretty spiritual. And so, so we've kind of taken hold of it but it, it, like every heresy, leads you to some pretty damning places. So, Paul was writing to this church he started in, in a city called Corinth. In fact, he wrote to it several times. Um, and, and these books in the Bible are, are called 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. And there was a lot of bad stuff going on it, at this church that he started in this city called Corinth. I would need to dismiss all the kids and make sure there was nobody in the room to get into the mess that was going on in the church in Corinth. Much of what was true of the city of Corinth, they would call people that were kind of depraved people, they would be known as Corinthianizers around town. Much of what was going on in the culture of Corinth had come in to the church. They had adopted the culture's licentiousness and its lifestyle and its belief systems. Now, one belief system that got really big in Corinth was this, that we are both flesh and spirit. If I asked you, do you believe that you are flesh and spirit, everybody would probably go, yeah, that makes sense, right? Now, here's, here's as they followed this through, they started to, to come up with these ideas, that our spirit is what matters to God, and that our spirit is good. In fact, they would later go on to say that Jesus actually didn't, wasn't in body. He couldn't have been because, right, He body is bad. But this heresy was that our spirit is what matters to God. Spirit is good, and the body is bad. Spirit is good. Flesh, anything that's of this world, is evil. Now, that sounds like pretty solid teaching, right? Many of us would go, yeah, I'm okay with that. But when this belief system began to work its way into the church, Paul's church, the one that he loved and he cared about, The way that this started to take root in this city was to say that since my body is bad, since the the physical realm is of no importance and all that matters is the spiritual, well then, I can do whatever I want with my body because it's not a big deal. Of course my body is going to participate in all kinds of crazy things. In Corinth, it was all kinds of crazy sexual things. Of course I can sleep with prostitutes in the church. That was what was going on in Corinth. Of course I can uh, uh, um, uh, celebrate incestual relationships. That was what was going on in the church. And why would that make any sense? Well, because ultimately the Corinthians started to believe, my body is of no importance. Of course my body, it's falling, it's evil. Of course it wants to do these things. This is just what bodies do. They're of no importance. Don't worry about the body. It's all about your spirit and your soul. So, it's like an inch off, and it winds up a big mess. So Paul writes to this church, and that's where we get our memory verse from this week, which is in this addressing of this issue to the church at Corinth. Let let me pick it up for you. Um, It's in 1 Corinthians 6, 12 through 30. Here's Paul writing to this church that has got itself caught up in this heretical thinking that its body doesn't matter and it can do whatever it wants with its body. You say, Paul says to them, I'm allowed to do anything, but not everything is good for you. And even though I am allowed to do anything, in a sense Paul's saying, yes, you're free, the law does not reign over you, you can do what you want. He says, I must not become a slave to anything. He says to the people again, you say, this was was the saying of the day, this is how they would justify what they were doing. Food was made for the stomach and the stomach for food. Ah, You know what I mean? The body was made for sex and the sex was made for the body. And um, he goes on, this is true though someday God will do away with both of them. They would often say it doesn't matter. God's just going to destroy all this anyway. It's only the spiritual that matters. But you can't say that our bodies were made for sexual immorality. They were made, your bodies, they were made for the Lord and the Lord cares about our bodies. And God will raise from the dead by his power, just as he raised our Lord Jesus from the dead. You are going to get a resurrected body. You, in the coming kingdom, are not going to be playing a harp. You're not going to be an angel. You're not going to have wings. You're not going to be all white. You are going to have a resurrected body. You will be able to identify each other in the kingdom. Right? We usually think we're going to be angels. That's not what the scripture teaches. There will be a bodily resurrection. Can I explain it? No, but I can't really explain how you got here the first time either. So what would make me think I could definitively explain for you how God will do that the second time? God does what God does. We stand in awe. Paul continues, Don't you realize that your bodies are actually parts of Christ? Should a man take his body, which is part of Christ, and join it to a prostitute? Never. And don't you realize that if a man joins himself to a prostitute, he becomes one body with her? For the scriptures say the two are united into one. But the person who's joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. So therefore, Paul says, run from sexual sin. No other sin clearly affects the body as this one does. For sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. See, you can sin against your own body. Don't you realize that your body is the, here's the memory verse, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God. You do not belong to yourself, for God bought you with a high price. So you, me, we need to honor God with our bodies. Here's my premise. The 21st century church has done a great job on the sexual purity part of this verse. We have taught the snot out of that one, how in a very real sense, right, God says sexual sin is different than other sins. It does have different power in your life. It does relate to deeper issues in your life. It has greater ramifications. So we picked up on that issue as the church, but we left the groundwork, if you will, issue, which is the issue about your physical bodies unaddressed, Part of the reason sexual sin is so serious is that it's committed not just with our eyes but with, or with our mouths, but with our bodies. It's not like gossip. It's something that we did with our physical bodies. And the deal is, this is what the Scripture teaches, and I never hear brought up in the church, our bodies matter to God. See, when you get this wrong, this will lead you to bad places. Our bodies matter to God. Everybody ever, you ever hear the church talk about this? Our bodies, your body, matters to God. But the truth is, for centuries, the church has lived in regards to this teaching, its teaching like a Christian atheist. We read it, but we don't really take it seriously. We, we live out, in a sense, the same heresy that was true in the Corinthian church. We worry about our souls, We worry about our spiritual lives, but in terms of what we do with our bodies, how we treat them, it's as if they have no importance, no spiritual value, no spiritual impact, in sense, not in the sexual way necessarily, but in the way we feed them, in the way we exercise them, in the way we repair them, in the way we rest them. In some sense, we are no different than the Corinthian church. Frankly, statistically, even sexually, we're probably not all that different. But specifically today, the way we treat our bodies is no different. It's the same heresy that we've kind of adopted, which is, this is not that important. Don't talk about it. There's a study done by Northwestern University in 2011, so recently. And it found a surprising link. You think I'm making this stuff up? It found a surprising link between obesity and regular religious participation. The study found that young adults who regularly attended religious services, get this now, young people, I'll never see a young person in this church again now, young adults who regularly attended religious services were 50% more likely to become obese by the time they reached middle age. I I checked this twice, two, two, two different places. Quote, we had previously found that those with high religious involvement were more likely to be obese, stated the lead investigator, who conducted a similar study in 1998. Um, He postulated that in America, gluttony was more of an acceptable vice to indulge in, according to a separate study done by Purdue University. Quote, the religious lifestyle has long been considered a healthy one, with its constraints on, listen to Corinth, with its constraints on sexual promiscuity, Uh, alcohol and tobacco use. However, overeating may be one sin that pastors and priests regularly overlook, and as such, many firm believers may not have so firm bodies. American churches are virtually silent on excess body weight despite a biblical dictate for moderation in all things, the sociology professor observed. In the book of Proverbs, gluttony is listed with drunkenness as a sign of moral weakness, but few religious groups have any prescriptions against overeating. Now, the last thing anybody wants to hear is a speech on overeating from a skinny guy. (laughs) Right? So let me just throw a couple of disclaimers out here. First, as my sister refers to me when I unveil this on the beach every year, you're skinny fat. (laughs) And I say to her, what does that mean? And she said, you appear to be skinny, but upon further reflection, you're fat. (laughs) One of my coworkers the other day said, You're not fat, you're just flabby, which was trying to make me feel better about things. Here's my deal I am no better and probably worse than most of you in terms of everything I am going to talk about today. Okay? Chief hypocrite is me. If I had the hypocrite hat, I would wear it for you, all right? I have been blessed with a metabolism, two things that help me. I have been blessed with a metabolism that is fast. I can't stop moving. I, I, I process food like crazy. Number, and number two, I don't like sweet food. Like, it has no hold on me. There's other things I do like that have holds on me, like Paul talks about. But I don't like sweet food. So, in a sense, I, I, might, I, I, I appear differently on the outside than I am on the inside. And today, we're talking about the inside. I'm really not concerned about how you appear on the outside. The truth is that your body and my body matters to God, and it has an impact, church, on your soul. Now, we're going to talk about exercise and diet, and right now, I, think I know what you're thinking, but we're going to talk about all those things. I know you know them. We're smart people. Nobody out there is going to go, do you mean to tell me there's a link between what I eat and what kind of shape I'm in? I know you know that, Right? But the key thing I want to get across to you this morning is the motivation for diet and exercise and these other areas in our life. In other words, why is my physical health important to God? Why is it a spiritual issue? And this is where we begin in our notes. Why is my physical health a spiritual issue? I'm going to give you six reasons about why you should care about your physical health. It has nothing to do with how people think you look on the beach or all those things. This is a heart matter. So here's number one. Number one, why is my physical health a spiritual issue? Number one, because my body is God's property. My body is God's property. Now, this is about as un-American a thought as you're going to hear me ever say to you. Because if you go up to anybody on the street and ask them about their bodies, we've all heard it from somebody at one point or another defending one cause or another. It's my body, and I can do with it whatever I want. We teach our kids this. It's your body. It's yours. It's yours. It's yours. The Scripture says something completely countercultural. It says, it's not your body. Now, see, we get this as Christians on many levels. We get it when it comes to our money. If you're a deeply spiritual person, I said, tell me, whose money is it? You'd go, well, John, it's not my money, it's God's. He's just giving it to me, so I give a percent or two back to the king right? We get it with our money. We get it when it comes to our homes. So many of you have big beautiful homes and you have very generously over the years come to me and said, John, God has blessed us with this great house. How can we use it for ministry? So we get it with our homes. I know many of you have thought that, right? Heck, we even get it with our kids. Think this through. We get this concept with our kids. We have dedication ceremonies up here, you know, All the time. And what's essentially going on is people are coming up in front of everybody and saying, I recognize that this child is not my child. It's not mine. It's just on loan from you, God. And in a sense, I want to dedicate it back to you and to your purposes, God. Yet somehow in our culture, we fail to take this very clear teaching that we understand in all other areas and apply it to your physical body. God says, Your body is His, it's not yours. He says, you didn't make it. You don't really even understand how it works half the time. I made it. It's not yours. It's merely on loan. Fascinating how we would be quick to give our children back to God. But in terms of one of the greatest things he gave us, we're slow to give it back to God. Consider it his. We consider it ours. Don't mess. Taking care of my. Which leads us to point number two. My body is a stewardship issue. We are to steward, which means to manage, we are to steward this gift properly. We get it with our money. We get it with our talents. Many of you know the story that Jesus talks about, the parable of the talents, right? Where each one comes and they're given different talents, and at the end end of, of the process, God shows up and he goes, I want to see, I want to understand what you did with all that I gave you. And we read it and we think, well, that may good. Jesus must be talking about my money or my, my time or my car or my, to know how I'm investing those things. What did he give you? Who's never thought about standing before God and going, Him going, what'd you do with your body? How'd you treat that? How'd you steward it? My wife turned 40 when I, I was uh, younger and and in a different career and had a little bit of money. <laughs> I bought her a car. She was she, a nice little car, it was used, but it was a really nice car for us. And the car in the garage all winter, it was, a, it was a little BMW Z3 used, a little BMW Z3. Kept it in the garage and man, we would never, if there was salt on the road, car didn't come out, right? Like if that car sat in the garage one time, it sat in the garage from, I think, November till April or May. And when I opened the hood, there was a family of squirrels living in the hood. And we took so good care of this car, right? Everywhere, we just, if we took it to the store, where did we park it? To get washed. Far away, right? Like, when I you, I stewarded that car. I stewarded what went into it. I stewarded the inside of it, the outside of it. How much more important is what God has given you in your body, and you don't care? You treat it like crud. So number two is taking care of my body is a stewardship issue. It's not just your money. Number three, taking care of my body is an act of worship. Taking care of my body is an act of worship. Another way to put it would be to say it's an offering. Now, if you're like me, you run on very low energy reserves. I can fall asleep anywhere. This is why I can't get that mad at some of you when you check out during a sermon. Because, you know, I find myself engaging, but others maybe not some minutes. I'm home from work. I can be asleep on the couch of the time. And if you were here last week in the issue on spiritual health, what begins the process of change is getting tired of the current state you're in, saying, I'm sick. One guy said, I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. The truth is, for many of us, if God... Everybody wants to say, Oh, if God would just tell me what he wants me to do with my life. I have news for you. If God showed up and told you what he wanted you to do with your life, you would be too tired to do it. Are you crazy? I'm too tired for that. For many of us, this is a huge issue. Paul tells us to honor God with our bodies. Elsewhere in Scripture, he defines what that means. How do I honor God with a physical thing? How do I honor God with my body? Paul says to give them to God as a living sacrifice holy and pleasing to God. Now, if you've spent any time in the Scriptures studying any kinds of sacrifices that were brought to God, what kind of sacrifices is God worthy of? Does God respect? Does He respect your second best sacrifice? Go through the history of the Scriptures if you know them. Where do you see God saying, get me all of the dwarf lambs and and the, the mentally handicapped doves and bring them because they'll be okay. No, he says, you bring me the best of what you have, and this is, in a sense, our bodies—they're to be offered back to God in a condition worthy of offering them to God. This is a spiritual act. There is not a difference. There is not a block between the spiritual and the physical. It's a spiritual discipline. Taking care of your body is a spiritual discipline. Here's how I can tell. Well, my wife gets me really mad, and I want to say something, right? That's my flesh going, say something, say something. I can feel it, right? And I'm starting to train myself to what that feels like. I start to go, mm, there's my flesh again. I can feel it. My flesh wants brewing. And I was, I got up this morning. I went down to have my coffee a brand new box of Oreos in the cabinet. And it screamed at me the way that my flesh does about saying something back. Eat me. And I thought to myself, this is what the flesh feels like when it wants to, in a sense, do what it wants to do. It is a spiritual discipline. You exercise this discipline of, uh, we'll talk about self-control in a minute, but it's a spiritual issue. Number four. This is a crazy one, and I can't fully explain it, but here's what the scripture teaches. My body, not just my soul, my body is a member of Christ's body. Verse 15 in, in 1 Corinthians 12, we just read it, says, don't realize your bodies are actually part to Jesus. But you see, we, we often see Jesus in some way, in a way I don't fully understand, your body is also connected to God. This is why God cares. God is impacted by how you treat it. What we put into it. How we manage it and shepherd it, since it 's connected to God, it has some importance to God. It matters to Jesus, because Jesus is not just connected to your soul, he 's connected to your body. Number five: My body is where the Holy Spirit lives, mind-blowing to the Holy Spirit who lives in you. You hear people on the street say, "Oh, my body 's a temple." It comes from this verse. But see, over the history of the church, God has lived in various places. God has lived in the tabernacle in ancient Israel. God has lived in the temple of Israel. That was His dwelling place. Has anybody read the descriptions of what the temple looked like? Because the place, the dwelling place of God is worthy of magnificence. In a sense, where He lives... How it's treated reflects on those who are treating it. Your body is the temple of God. If God resided in your house, if God took up residence in your house, would it change the way you treated your house? Of course it would. But he lives in your body, and it should impact the way we treat our bodies. If you and I drove drove by and saw a bunch of kids defiling a church, throwing rocks through the windows, painting graffiti on and all the rest, what would you do? You'd at least call the cops, if not stop and get out of your car. But we do the same thing to where the Holy Spirit lives today all the time, every day, all day long. Just run it down. Number six, last one. My body was purchased at a price. A high price brought he was purchased at a high price did not just listen Mendham hills Jesus did not just pay for your soul on the cross verse 19 and 20 you do not belong to yourself for God bought you with a high price you must honor God with your body these are powerful words we spend lots of lip service on them but Paul teaches his church that God purchased at the cost of his son your body And to say your body doesn't matter, frankly, is blasphemous. God purchased, at the cost of his your body. And to say your body doesn't matter. If you say you want to please God, if you say you want to please God with your lives, then you have to care about the physical well-being of your body. Now, I am going to list for you the three most common sense things you will hear me say in the history of church. I am going to tell you something that you know and don't need to hear. There's no rocket science here, I'm not a doctor, but there's just no way to talk about the issue and not point out these three things. Because if your body matters, if you can get to the place where you go, you know, I think, my, I think he might be right, I think my body actually might matter to God, I think, I'm, I, I think I might be abusing it, I think I should probably be treating it a little bit differently, that these things are important, then you need to look at these three issues you need to actually worry about these three things and not just roll your eyes and go, yeah, 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 I know about that. So number one is, number one, the first thing. The Bible says, whatever you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. This should be put on your fridge, your freezer, your pantry, and your Twinkies. It is hard to open a Twinkie and say, to God be the glory. (laughs) And pop it down. It's hard to eat a gallon of briars to the glory of God. A bowl, yes. A gallon, no. If I loaned you that car I bought my wife, most of you, because you like me, would treat it with the highest of respect. You would park it where I parked it. You, if you got it dirty, would wash it like I wash it. And when you pulled up to the gas station, what would you do with it? You would not likely pull it into the Delta, down here on the street, not to insult the Delta. But you would probably put it into a good gas station and put good gas in it because you would say Worthy of putting something in it that's very good. If you do the slightest amount of research on the average American diet, you can see why we are all so tired and overweight. It's funny, the Bible says, Behold, I will give you every plant. These Bible verses are in your, your work. I'll give you every plant, uh, every plant uh, that yields seed, that's on the face of the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit, and you shall have them for food. In some sense, God says, Here's what you should eat. The things that... I want to look at what I eat. If you look at what we eat, almost all of the ingredients and everything you're putting into this body, which matters to God, were not created by Him. Look at the ingredients. This is not rocket science I'm not going to recommend a diet for you, but I will recommend go look at what you're eating. Does anybody, didn't receive see the YouTube video this week of how many ingredients are in a McDonald's french fry? I love McDonald's. Oh, I love McDonald's. I thought French fry one of the five greatest tastes on earth. A McDonald's, video they came out of McDonald's French fry. A McDonald's french fry, right, is up there. In a McDonald's french fry, you're going to have a potato, you're going to have some salt, and probably some oil for frying it. There are 19 ingredients in a McDonald's french fry, most of which you could not pronounce. And God says, I'm making you all these things. Eat these things. And we go, we know better. We're going to eat these things. And then we wonder why this all isn't all working well for us. Because it's been defined. Body matters to God. God's people have always, you will eat. God's people have always been defined in some sense by eat that. I don't have time to go through all the dietary laws, why they're there and all the rest, but I love this from Daniel chapter 1. Daniel gets taken into the king's castle. In a sense, he's told that he should eat what the king eats. But Daniel, quote the scripture says, purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's delicacies, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore he requested of the chief of the eunuchs, those were the features, might not defile himself and at the end of the portion of the king's delicacies and his buddy's features appeared better in portion of delicacies and the wine that they were to drink and gave them vegetables see the new testament talks all about how you can't be defiled by your diet that's not what god is concerned about that's not what's keeping you from god but it's like we've thrown the baby out with the bathwater on that and said well it really doesn't matter what we put into ourselves it does matter because your body's matter to god and if you're putting stuff into yourself that is not, is not going to make you, allow you to be used for God's glory, thus your diet matters to God. Your diet matters to is The whole a diet for you. There's weight matters to God. Thus, your diet matters to you. need to care about what we eat. Number two. Number one was defiling diets. Number two is energy and exercise. Oh, I love the old story about reading about the creation of man. You know how it goes, right? The scripture says that God took the man and sat him down in an office, behind a desk. And he he told them in that building to to sit and tap on keys all day. That's not what the scripture says. How many of you does that describe how you live many hours of your life every day? To work. It says, but for most of us, between the commute, the job, the kids, the kids' sports, the appointment TV, so few of us do any physical labor. Our lawns get mowed by others, our... Do you know what Joan and I are doing right now? We are now shopping at Weiss and they are buying our groceries for us. You know why? Because we can sit on a and order them through the computer. It's fantastic. And we sit and we. Other than sit and sit, you get exhausted. I'm exhausted from sitting around all day. And you know what else we get when we sit around and don't do anything? Depressed as heck. And depression is a big deal in our country, affecting 25% of Americans. 20% of the people in this room struggle with depression size. In 1999, a, random, uh, a randomized controlled trial showed that depressed adults who took part in aerobic exercise improved as much as those treated. We took this conclusion either, even further. 27 depressed people who hadn't exercised for relief from their depression, or uh, excuse me, who hadn't exercised... Um, but we're on a common type of depression, and found that exercise led 30% of them into remission. A result that was dumps, man. I can almost guarantee you, you're not exercising. That might be simplistic, but that's this is the truth of my life. Every once in a while, I just get in that thing. I'm sitting on the couch. I'm going, I'm disgusting. I'm just lazy, and I feel like I'm dying, you know? And then I go to the gym, and I hurt myself. But what's another? <laughs> You were not created. You were created to be moving, not lifestyle. The latest figures suggest the world's population has become disturbingly inactive. They say it's because we're propagating the American lifestyle. According to researchers, 31% of the world's adults, or 1.5 billion people, are almost completely sedentary, or a day of exercise recommended for their age group. Unsurprisingly, North America led the way in not exercising. That's you and me. With 43% of Americans not reaching the lowest recommended threshold of any exercise. And why is this a big deal? Because about 5.1 million, by comparison, 5.1 million die because of smoking. Sedentary lifestyles, you and I sitting around on our butts all day, and I am the king of this, chief hypocrite, is killing us worse than smoking is. It seems clear that the deleterious impact of activity on a global scale is at least equivalent to Harvard. Our lack of exercise, of making it a priority, of building it into our lives is depressing us, it's sickening us, it's killing us. If we're to honor God with our bodies, we have to imagine if everybody in this church said, What are we all there? Why don't we all exercise? You imagine what the power that number one, defiling diets. Number two, energy and exercise. And lastly, sleep and Sabbath. Sleep and and sabbath there are three main bodies moving we're going to get serious about the spiritual discipline of our bodies Rod out in the driveway and you can't drive the car into the ground some of you are driving yourselves into the ground god your creator the one who made the engine understands how it's supposed to work he says you've got to slow it down it's got to take a rest i don't care take care of your body Depends. yet i know your lifestyles i know my lifestyle you know, I got up at 3.45 this morning. I know how we work. I know what it's like. And see, you can't control. Uh, you, here's what happens with sleep. Ultimately, it takes care of a commandment about sleep. Because you know what's going to happen if you don't sleep? You did write to a pretty big command. In fact, if you were going to think of ten things he would say to Moses, here's what my people should be known by, you would never think one of them would be rest. But God, the creator of your engine says, once every seven days, you've got you to shut this thing down. i work in the yard. I'm not going to work on the bills. I'm not going to work on whatever. We don't shut it down. God says, man, if you want to be healthy and your bodies matter to me and you buy into that, you have to, I have to start to prioritize a day of just spending it with my family and spending it for the good of the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for the good of people. In other words, God said, I made this for you. Need this. Do There are three personal things I've learned over the years. These are John's secrets when he's actually doing well. When I'm doing bad, I'm not doing any of these. Which impacts your spiritual health in every other area of your life. The first one is self-control. Shocker alert. That self-control would have something to do with my physical bodies. But if you are like me and you have tried and failed at this over and over again, there's one reason at the heart of it. And the issue is a lack of self-control control. So key one to be successful at this is to develop self-control. How do you develop self-control? Two ways. Number one, self-control is a fruit of the Spirit. As you abide, self-control, as you spend time in God, as you worship Him and celebrate Him and pray with Him, you will gain self-control. It always happens like fruit on the tree. It comes if you are are with God, if you're abiding with God, you're in self-control, I would ask you, are you, you know, look back at last week and last week's stuff and say, where how's my spiritual health? People who are spiritually healthy have higher levels of self-control. Second thing, this is fact we work. I've been reading this stuff for months now because it needs to be exercised. At the turn of the 21st century, a landmark study was conducted that looked at this question. Does self-control resemble a muscle? After reviewing hundreds of studies, the author concluded the answer is yes. So social scientists all over the world, started willpower, if self-control is like a muscle, and muscles get stronger over time with training, could willpower, could self-control similarly be trained and strengthened? So here's what they did. In the 2000s, the Australian researchers conducted a series of experiments to see if you could customize a customized two-month exercise program where they hit the gym three times a week to do weight training and aerobic workouts. At the end of two months, participants, most of whom were set, okay, but not shocking, yeah, they worked out three times a week, they got stronger. But what about their self contained yeah. activities? Participants smoked cigarettes, drank alcohol, ate junk food, all the things we're talking about right now, spent money impulsively, lost their temper, did homeschools, instead of watching TV or socializing, there was a massive self-reported decrease in bad behavior and a huge boost in good behavior. For missing one, people went from to less than once per week. In other words, self-control exercise in one area had huge need to exercise a muscle of self-control. What should I pick it in? Well, the research is you could pick it in anything. But then the research went on to self-control. Actually, a couple of keystone habits. It's crazy. This is a book many of us are reading, by, reading at church by a guy named Charles Duhigg. We saw him at the Catalyst Conference last year. The book is called The Power of Habit. If you haven't read it, you should get it. But Enity talks about keystone habits. I list two of them, the predominant. Typically, people who exercise start eating. You know, I go to the gym. When I come home to the gym, I don't drink a soda. But it's not just that, right? Like, you start eating better. They become more productive at work. They smoke less. Show more patience with colleagues and family. They use their credit cards less frequently. And they say they feel less stressed. Exercise is a keystone habit comes from God, by exercising a muscle. Predominantly, if you're gonna exercise that muscle, exercise it in the exercise. by the way, fascinating, second keystone area, food journaling, writing down what you eat. You start to write down what you eat, every other area of your life is impacted. Two last ones, first key, self-control. Second is something called sequential success. I know why you don't wanna start eating right and exercising. It's because it gets hard. It can become so overwhelming. Oh, the pie. Why bother? I'm just going to quit. So the second key issue in developing success with our physical bodies is understanding the power of sequential. Sequ- you just try to walk today. Walk to the end of your street. There's tremendous power in the stacking up of what I would call when win. Everything changes. I have a video, but I don't have time to show it to you, where they, they, it's called a domino theory. This guy starts with a domino, then the next one, tweezer to put down. A little meter thing, and he knocks it over. And each domino proceedingly pre- pre- goes on. The last domino, he knocks over something that weighs several hundred pounds. He goes, if I went on, I forget how many more, 15 or 20, over the Empire State, I was at this rate, I would knock over the Empire State. Something! Do something with your diet. Do something with exercise. A little step, and you will begin to last one. Wins and power in that area. Uh, one more thing out of that Charles Duhigg book. They, they found that making your bed each morning is correlated with better productivity, a greater sense of well-being, and greater facility with following a budget. Little domino. Here's the last one. Shared story. Shared story. The Bible indicates over and over the past, and so, all of our scientists and sociologists are catching on about this. This Charles Duhigg book, every book I read this week, nothing changes until you... What was it about these principles that were working so well? They started to understand a few things, but there was one common thing that AA was somehow able to overcome that everybody wasn't, other system wasn't, overcome. And you know what they said the secret is? The secret was the power of belief. That you have, church, listen to me, you have to believe you can change. You have to believe you can change. and says we can change together. Every study of it shows that. Here's what I want you to do. If you're a woman, Connie's over here. Connie will go to the Welcome Center. They got four groups of women working on this on Monday night, Talk with Scott and Joe. Matters of God, and it will change your life. Room up here, and they're going to start going through this material, and I am going to push them to get you into some kind of physical health routine, because nothing will change your spiritual health like your food.